Well, anyway, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's get spiritual. Amen? Forget all that football stuff for now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're new here at East Point, uh, let me tell you what we're doing. We are three weeks in on a five-week series that the Lord laid on my heart about the cross. And uh, we have, uh, what we're doing is we're approaching the prepositional phrases used in the Bible. We began with the phrase, on the cross, the first Sunday. And then last week we dealt with the phrase, in the cross. Today our phrase is going to be, of the cross. So we're going to take a close look at that. It's here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I will tell you that next week we will deal with by the cross and then we will close out on uh, the same day that we have our children's Christmas uh, presentation with the sermon on through the cross. And much to the delight of, of any congregation, that will be a short message. Amen. Just uh, somebody said there's no such thing as a bad short message. So uh, we're going to talk about through the cross. I wanted to mention that to you because I want you to work hard between now and next Sunday to bring somebody with you. Of the five sermons that God has laid on my heart, I think next week is actually my favorite by the cross. And just a little preview of what, what the Lord's laid on my heart. It has to do with a text that talks about the women who were standing by the cross and what you would have witnessed had you stood there with them by the cross. So I'm asking you to work hard to bring a guest next Sunday uh, so that we can uh, challenge them to think about those things that they would have seen and heard standing by the cross, okay? But for today, if you will, look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 is our key verse. If you'll look there, verse 18. If you're there, say, I'm there. there. For the message... Of the cross, there's our phrase, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now let me just stop for a moment and, and I'm going to ask you to hold on to a thought. When you first read that verse and you come across that phrase, uh, to us who are being saved, it almost sounds like salvation is a process. If you have an old King James Version of the Bible, it reads differently than that. If you have an American Standard, it reads differently than that. So we're going to get there, so just hold on to that and make a mental note, if you will, that we're going to talk about that phrase and the fact that salvation is not a process and that that verse is not saying that we are undergoing a process. So we're going to get there. But before we do that, let's pray together. And ask the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. He's our teacher. He's our guide into all truth. Would you agree? So let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity you've given us to gather. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to study your word today together. And Lord, I, I, just, I thank you for what our ears have heard, what our hearts have felt in the way of testimonies and presentation of song. God, thank you for being at work here among us and all around the world through our missionaries. God, we pray your blessings on this time we spend together as we look at the cross again this morning, Lord. Help us to be mindful of what it means to us, what it means to the world, Lord, what this message of the cross is all about. And God, help us, we pray. Teach us and guide us. If there's one here today, Lord, that hasn't trusted in you, I pray that today, today would be the day they would be born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, 
Now, here's what we'd like to do. I, I want to I go back with you for a moment. Keep in mind, it's always important when you take a verse of Scripture is to go back and look at the context. Would you agree with me? So we're going to go back to verse 17, and then we're going to read through to verse 25 and get a little better picture, all right? But in essence, we're talking about that phrase, the message of the cross. If you received a bulletin today, inside that bulletin, you'll have a study sheet. And you can kind of fill in some of the blanks as we go along and just uh, keep track. And it helps some people know, okay, pastor's only got one point left, I can hang on, right? <laughs> some of you do that. How many of you try to guess the, the words? Do we have anybody here that, okay. How successful are you? Pretty good? Not very good. All right, just curious. If you're a guest, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's all right. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now let me pause a moment, if you don't mind. I'd like to address a couple of things from that verse, all right? First of all, let's make this note. That the gospel involves the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, if you will. Am I right? Uh, of Jesus Christ. You can't separate any one of those components. I've been in theological arguments with people who have tried to say, you know what really matters? It's the cross, the crucifixion. No, no, what really matters is the resurrection. Uh, no, no, what, what really matters is, is the virgin birth. And I say to you, the gospel is all-encompassing. You can't remove one of them. You cannot. You cannot remove one of them. So when we talk about the cross of Christ, it's not as though we're trying to say that the death of Jesus is somehow more important than the resurrection of Jesus. It's simply part of the gospel, and it's a part we cannot overlook. It's a part we should not, we should not just glaze over and go on to something else. It's a very important part of the gospel. Would you agree? Yeah. All right. So then he said, I don't do this with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. The word effect in that text in the Greek literally means to make it of reputation, of force. Literally what he's saying is, I don't want the cross of Christ to lose any of its power. That's what he's saying. So I choose not to speak in terms of wisdom of words. Listen, the gospel is simple. We tend to complicate things, but the gospel message is a simple message. Any child should be able to understand what Jesus did for them. Would you agree with me? Sometimes we complicate it, and that's not intended. And Paul is saying, uh, I, I do this with simplicity. It should be conveyed. The message of the cross should be conveyed with simplicity. Verse 18 again, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You ever tried to witness to somebody and they just think you're just, you're just some kind of ignorant person that doesn't know a thing you're talking about and faith is, it, you just aren't with it. And, and, and that's what the Bible says. For some who perish, it's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. Notice what Paul said. But we preach Christ 
crucified. It's very important that we understand the need to preach Christ crucified. And then he goes on and he says, To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So let's talk about the message, here's that phrase again, of the cross. Let's do that. Here are some things I'd like for you to note with me. Number one, if you want to write it down, uh, the message is deserving of our time. It is deserving of our time. John Brodus, a renowned leader of the Southern Baptists, once asked this question, what is the most wonderful event that has ever occurred on earth or that has ever happened in the universe, he asked. The history of our race is so full of wonderful events, he went on to say, you might want to pause before you answer. My answer, he said, would be this. By far the most wonderful thing that has ever happened in the universe is the atoning death of Jesus Christ the Lord. Now think about that for a moment. The most wonderful thing that has ever happened is the atoning death of Jesus Christ the Lord. That brings us back to the cross. The importance of what Jesus did that day. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you would with me, go back in your, in your uh, uh, at least in your mind for a moment, um, to just outside Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, to that place known as the place of the skull, Calvary we call it. Think for a moment what it must have been like either just after Jesus died on the cross, or if he's there right now in your mind's eye, think with me this thought, what will you do with what you have just seen or just heard about? What is your message? The message of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean? It is indeed deserving of our time. One of the reasons it is, is because here we talk about rest, and we talk about peace, and we talk about eternal life. If there's one thing everybody in this world is looking for, it's rest and peace. Would you agree? And it's found in Jesus Christ. We have it available to us because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. The book of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 4 and verse number 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So you want to enter the rest that Jesus offers. You want to have that peace with God first which gives you the peace of God. The way to do that is go through the cross, understand the message of the cross. That message is one where Jesus died for you and he died for me and because of the blood that he shed, we have forgiveness of our sin. And so it is deserving of our time. John Phillips, many of you have heard me quote him uh, numerous times since I've been your pastor. He is no doubt one of my favorite writers, favorite commentators. He, uh, uh, he has written something in a book of his called The View from Mount Calvary, a book I've just recently acquired. I'd like to read to you a paragraph of it, if you'd permit me to do so, and listen carefully to what he says. I find it interesting. This is under a subcategory in his book entitled The Message, and again, he's talking about the message of the cross. He writes this, As soon as we leave the message of Christ crucified behind, we leave revival behind as well. The preaching of psychology will never change the world, nor will the preaching of possibility thinking. 
however appealing that might seem to be. That kind of preaching may draw the crowds and often fill big churches, Philip says. It is, it is preaching to the mind, however, and not to the conscience. People come with notebooks in hand, eager to learn 14 ways to deal with teen depression or seven ways to cope with little Willie's temper tantrums. But the next week, they want to know how to deal with a husband that is unsaved or how to be a fulfilled single. When we preach, Philip says, we preach Christ crucified, and in doing so, we pass all of that by. We go to the very heart of the problem. Humanity's problems are problems of sin, guilt, and fear, he said. It is at Calvary alone we find the cure to those kinds of ills. Paul did not preach a creed, Phillips adds. He preached Christ. He did not preach a program. He preached a person. He did not preach religion. He preached redemption. Amen. We can't go wrong if we preach Christ and Christ crucified, he said. Not only is it deserving of our time, but secondly, in your notes, would you write this down? It's disturbing in this time. You start talking about the cross of Christ, and if you've had much uh, witnessing experience at all, you know that you're going to run into some people who say something to you like, why is your gospel so uh, horrible and so violent? And you talk about blood, and you talk about death, and you talk about uh, suffering. Why does it have to be that way? Well, the answer to that is because God is the one who was sinned against, and God is the one who said the penalty for sin is death. Jesus offered himself. There is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for us. That is disturbing to some for this very reason. In the world that we live in, nobody likes to be called a sinner. Am I right? As a matter of fact, let me go a step farther with you and say that it is no secret that we live in a very narcissistic culture. What do we mean by that term? It is used in the day and age that you and I uh, live in, uh, no doubt to teach that... Uh, when somebody is overconfident or full of themselves. The characteristic of narcissism is self-admiration and a sense of entitlement, which tends to result in failure to interact with other people. In mythology, Narciss, Narcissus fell in love with himself with his reflection in the pool and stayed right there. He would not leave, would not interact with anyone else, and as a result, he died there. He died there. In the world that we live in, nobody wants to hear that they're a sinner. As a matter of fact, we live in a culture that's drifting further and further away from church and further and further away from Bible study. We have some like the man some of you may have heard of. He was late to a business meeting and so he's driving around the parking lot. He, he's worried and he can't find a space so he begins to pray. Lord, he said, if you'll give me a space right away and let me get to this meeting on time, then I'll get back in church. I'll get my family and friends to go. I'll, I'll start honoring you with my finances. I'll give up gambling. I'll clean up my language. And just about that time, uh, a space opened up and he said, Oh, never mind, Lord. I found one on my own. <laughs> it's true that people forget God and get away from God and they begin to live on their own and they think that they're the reason they have what it is that they have. The strange thing about all of this is you have to admit you're lost before you will ever trust Christ as your Savior. 
And we live in a world that doesn't want to be told they're lost. They don't want to be told that they have any problems. If we were to make a, a medical analogy today, let me give it to you this way. Let's say you go to the doctor because you're having some problems and he discovers that you have pneumonia. Only he's worried that if he tells you you have pneumonia, even though he has a cure for it, he's worried that he will cause you emotional stress. So he doesn't tell you. Instead, he gives you some coloring books and some Play-Doh and sends you home. Huh? A narcissistic society withdraws. We're seeing this on our university campuses. We're seeing people who say, I don't want anybody around me who disagrees with me politically. I don't want anybody around me who disagrees with me racially. I don't want anybody around me who disagrees with me religiously. Even though the word university means unity in the midst of diversity. For you to tell somebody that Jesus died on the cross for their sin is to imply they are in need of a Savior. And we live in a world that that disturbs because they don't want to be told they're in need of a Savior. I went to the hospital last week and I was trying to locate one of the family members of one of our church members and the hospital lady, I, I knew I was in trouble because I went to the little desk you're supposed to go to for information. And they don't have the information. Couldn't find it on the computer. Finally found the name on the list of papers that she had. And, and, and she said, well, they're in the hospice area. And I said, well, where is the hospice area? And she said, uh, well, um, um, and, and then she told me something she should not have told me. Can I, can I ask you to do something? When you don't know something, can you just say, I don't know? She sent me on a half mile walk and she didn't have a clue what she was doing. She said, go down to the end of this hallway and when you get to the elevators, she said, at the end of the hallway, just take it up and you'll see. Well, I'm thinking up, it's five floors. I'm thinking up, maybe it's marked in the elevator. So I get down to the end of the hallway and there are no elevators. They're halfway in the hall. So I go back to the nearest elevator and I ride up to the fourth floor. Honestly, I don't know why I went to the fourth floor. I just did. I just pushed four. It's a true story. <laughs> I got out of the elevator and I don't see anything that looks like anything that looks like hospice. And so I see a lady who works there and she recognizes by the facial expression that I am lost. <laughs> and I have a little badge on, you know, all that, and, and, and so a little pastoral badge, you know, so they can recognize those of us who don't know where we're going. And... Uh, <laughs> And so she looked at me and I said, I said, ma'am, and I used these words. I said, I am lost. She said, what are you trying to find? And I told her. She said, oh, well, you're close. I said, okay. <laughs> she said, go down here and turn left, I mean, turn right and then left again and you'll see a sign. I said, okay. So I went down and I found her. So this is my point. If you're going to get to where you need to go, you need to ask somebody that knows how to get there. Right? But you got to admit you don't know. You got to admit that you're lost. And in the world that we live in, people don't want to admit that they're lost. And like the case of pneumonia that the doctor sends you home without the cure, when it comes to sin, ladies and gentlemen, there is a cure. Had the doctor just given some, uh, some sort of antibiotic in a couple of weeks, the person would be well. And I say to you, just to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to the problem of sin and the disease of death, it will cure the problem. So while there is an issue that, yes, we are sinners, there is a cure, and it's the crucified Christ.
That's the cure. The blood of Jesus Christ. And it's available to anybody and everybody. Phillips also made note, the Bible without Jesus makes no sense, he said. The Bible without the atoning death of Jesus on the cross makes no difference, he said. You can't pull out the crucifixion of Jesus and make a difference in the world that we live in. But it's going to be disturbing to some when you explain to them their need in the world that we live in. Number three on the list, let us make note that the message of the cross is divisive in our times. Now this is similar to disturbing in a way, but it is divisive. One of the uh, verses of scripture that I find interesting, and I've read the scriptures through many, many times over many years now, and I'm approaching uh, 30, 38 years preaching the gospel this month. Uh, 38 years of preaching the gospel. But this is a verse, this is a passage that I find interesting. It really is truly interesting when you look at it. Luke chapter number 12, beginning in verse 51. And it reads this way. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Now, now wait a minute. Don't we celebrate peace on earth at the time of the birth of Jesus? I mean, don't we know that that's what that's all about? Don't we know that, that, that the angels cried out? Uh, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to men. Don't, don't we know? And yet Jesus said, do you think I've come? That my coming is going to have peace? That the result is going to be peace? And then he said this, I tell you not at all, but rather division. What? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? The Christ who hung on the cross of Calvary is a divisive individual in the sense that you either believe in him or you do not. And the religions of the world will differ. And there will be division based on him. From now on, verse 52 says of Luke 12, for from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. When it comes to the cross of Christ and it comes to Jesus Christ being crucified and it comes to this thought that, that you and I are saved by faith, not by works. Suddenly now, we have divided what we believe from every other religion in the world. Every other philosophy in the world. This new age movement that has peppered our, our minds and our philosophy of life. That has tried to teach us that there are many paths to heaven. There are not many paths to heaven. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am one of the ways. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. There are not many ways. There is one way, and that one way is the same Christ you and I are talking about. The Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. Yeah. It's the only way. You have all these religions of the world. You can sit down with a Jehovah's Witness and you can talk about many things and, and be like-minded in some of them. But when you get on the subject of Jesus, you will differ. 
You can sit down with the Mormons and you can talk about the importance of family and you can talk about morality and you can talk about a lot of things that you will have in common. But when you get on the person of Jesus Christ, you must understand that God had one son. He was not one of the two that he had, but he is the only begotten of the Father. And he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And you will differ with what they believe. You get on the subject of religion with Islam or with anyone else for that matter and you will find that where the differing occurs is on this person who hung on the cross for us. And there will be division. Now when I say that, understand me that I don't believe that you have to be angry and you don't have to be uh, a person who is intolerant. On the contrary, I happen to believe Christians are among the most tolerant people in the world. I have no problem at all sitting down and talking with people who disagree with me. Now, I may call you ignorant when we're finished. I mean, that may happen. <laughs> Amen? It's impossible. I'll be kind, though. I'll say it with a smile. How about that? But the idea, the, the idea behind this simply is that, that we are uh, living in a time that the message of the gospel and the message of the cross is a divisive matter. Young people particularly, don't be afraid to take a stand on who Jesus Christ is and what he did for you. We live in a world that is telling you, don't talk about that. I'll tell you why they're telling you that, because Jesus said, wait a minute, I will cause division. Jesus said, hey, wait a minute, there's something different here when it comes to what he did on the cross of Calvary. So the world tries to tell you, here's what we'll do. We'll just agree on all these other things together, and let's not approach the subject of Jesus. I've been a few places this year already uh, around Christmas time coming up and I've seen decorations and I've been in the stores and I've looked for decorations and I've looked for lights and, and I have seen very little that has anything to do with Jesus at all. At all. And it, it's been for quite some time now there has been this movement to eliminate Jesus from this thing we call Christmas. And, and it's an amazing thing, man, when you think about it. it's supposed to be the birth of the one who he said himself when he was talking to Pilate for this cause. What cause? To die. For this cause came I into the world. When you talk about the birth of Jesus, you have to talk about this thing behind me, the cross. The cross of Jesus. That's why he came. And it's a divisive matter. Don't misunderstand me. I think we need to love people and I think we ought to live in harmony. But do not forget that when you talk about the cross, the message is a divisive message. Stand your ground and understand what it means. Last of all, I want you to see this with me. It's a delivering message. It's a delivering message at this time. Delivering at this time. What do we mean? The message of the cross of Christ is a message where eternal life is found. Where people who place their faith and trust in Christ can find forgiveness of their sin. Can receive eternal life. Can have a home in heaven. 
And it's a wonderful thing. But let me just say this to you today, ladies and gentlemen. It is something you have to act on. It is something you have to understand occurred for you. It is something that Jesus did for you and I. And we will not have forever to make up our minds. And I say that today kindly and lovingly to you. There are a few things that can happen right now if you feel a need to trust Christ as your Savior. And you've not already done that. I encourage you to make that decision. Why? Well... Christ could come at any minute, you'd be out of time. The time may come in your life when God quits calling you. I believe that's a biblical reason why you need to respond when he calls. But then there's also the reason that none of us are guaranteed another day in this world. We had deaths that occurred this week in our city, tragic situations. Some people shared with me some morning, this morning some uh, people that they knew personally that uh, have uh, slipped out into eternity. We had another teenager from Sandalwood that passed away this week. It's a horrible situation. I say that to say this, ladies and gentlemen, there's not one of us that's guaranteed another day. Not one of us that knows for certain we'll be here next week to make a decision. So if he's calling you now, respond now. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, for he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accept, accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I'd like to deal in closing with that thought that I mentioned to you earlier that I asked you to hang on to. That in the New King James, as I read this verse to you, for the, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. May I deal with that phrase? In the Old English, instead of saying uh, who are being saved, it reads which are saved, which are saved. In the American Standard, it reads who are saved. So why the difference? When you read it in the New King James, it appears as though salvation is a process. But that's not what it means. Why does one convey it as though we have been saved and the other conveys it as we are being saved? It's because of the word saved. In the Greek, the word is sozo. And it means either rescued, which indicates it happened, it's over, it's done. Or it means not only that, it means you are being kept. In the aorist tense, as one particular Greek scholar put it, the aorist has the ability not only to say that something has happened one time, but that that event has now been, listen, frozen forever. So what the Bible tells us is this. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, it is a one-time thing. When you are born again, you do that then. And then you are not being saved but you are being kept. And that is the difference in the term. I don't want you to leave today thinking that somehow you're on probation for salvation. There are some groups who try to teach that. That is not what the Bible teaches. When you get born again, it is at that very moment that Christ enters in, that the Spirit of God enters you and seals you with the Spirit of God, and you are saved, your sins are washed away, eternal life is given, and you are just as saved at that moment as you will be whenever He picks you up, because you are, are preserved through Him with the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God. You are kept, kept by Him. Maybe you're here today 
and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. You know there's a lot of people who have a faith in God. They wouldn't deny Jesus died on the cross. They just haven't personally asked Jesus to be their Savior. They've never been, as the Bible records, born again. If you'd like to make that decision, I'd like to encourage you to do that today. And I'd like to lead you in such a prayer. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for just a moment while heads are bowed and eyes are closed? If you're here today and you are saying in your heart, Pastor, I know. I understand what you're saying. I know Jesus died on the cross for me. There's never been a time when I've been born again, but I'd like to make that decision. Then I'd like to pray with you right now. I, I just feel led to do this differently today than I often do it. So bear with me if you will. But if you'd like to pray that prayer, let me lead you in that prayer. It simply is like this. If you want to repeat it where you are in your mind and your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe you died for me. I ask you now to come into my heart and be my Savior. To forgive me of all my sin. To give to me eternal life, a home in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. In Jesus' name. Amen.